this morning, the first Sunday of the month, is when it's our custom to partake of the Lord's table. It's also referred to or known as the Lord's Supper and Communion. And as it happens, our text this morning from Mark's Gospel is the account of Jesus' last meal with His disciples before His death. And it is during this meal that Jesus gives His disciples the ordinance of the Lord's table. And so by the grace of God, I trust that that we will be blessed today with a greater understanding and appreciation of the Lord's table. We're going to consider our text, Mark 14, under three headings. That Jesus, knowing what is ahead, first, He arranges Passover preparations. He arranges Passover preparations, verses 12-17. through 17. Secondly, uh, knowing what is ahead, Jesus predicts Passover betrayal, verses 18 through 21. Jesus predicts his betrayer. He knows that he is about to be betrayed. And thirdly, he declares Passover's fulfillment in verses 22 to 26. So we will dwell on this last point, Passover's fulfillment. And we will consider that Christ gave Himself to establish a relationship of peace between God and His people. Praise the Lord for that good news. God gave Himself to establish a relationship of peace between God and His people. Our first heading is that Jesus arranges Passover preparations. And so we'll read Mark 14, beginning in verse 12, all the way to verse 17. Mark 12, for, or Mark 14, 12 to 17. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Now I'm going to get the PowerPoint working if I can. Because uh, I think it helps to have... This, uh, there we go. Okay. There is some debate among scholars about the exact timing of the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And uh, one could get very much caught up in that. Um, I don't want to do that this morning. 
But I want to highlight a few things. And you can see as well some thoughts on the PowerPoint there. According to Mark 14, verse 12, the first verse of our passage, Jesus celebrated Passover in the evening on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Now, in Jewish reckoning, the evening was the beginning of the new day. And so at that time, when Jesus would have been gathering the preparations and and then celebrating the meal, the lambs would not yet have been sacrificed. But they would be on that same day later on. We know from John's Gospel that Jesus celebrated the Passover and was arrested on what was called the Day of Preparation. John 19, uh, verse 14 is one scripture there that, that uses that phrase, the Day of Preparation. So Jesus celebrated the Passover. He was arrested on, on this Day of Preparation And then later that same day, he died as our Passover lamb. At the same time, the Passover lambs were slaughtered as their blood was spilled. Jesus knew these things as he arranged Passover preparations that evening. Three times he predicted his death to the disciples. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31. And again in Mark chapter 10, in verses 33 and 34. Earlier in Mark chapter 14, we have the Jewish leaders looking for the right time to kill Jesus. Chapter 14, verse 1. They were seeking to kill him. And they decided not during the feast, lest there be a riot. And we have Judas in Mark 14, verse 11, looking for a convenient time to betray Jesus into the hands of his enemies. But the Lord's death would come in his time. Mark tells us that Jesus sent two disciples on ahead to prepare for the Passover. And Matthew tells us something interesting in his account. Matthew tells us that Jesus added this instruction, Matthew 26, 18, say to him, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, my time is at hand. The teacher says, my time is at hand. You see, Jesus knows that his time is coming when he will lay down his life of his own accord. And so he has everything prepared for this meal. The room was made ready. Everything was prepared according to his plan so that he could celebrate this meal with his disciples. Leave them with his last instructions. The Gospel of John, for example, has 
chapters 13 through 17, that Jesus spoke on that last Passover meal. But Mark gives us the brief version. That's who Mark is. He's giving us the nuts and bolts, the essentials here. And so following the Passover preparations, he sends them out. It's all prepared according to his plan. He is doing this in his timing. Jesus then at the meal predicted Passover betrayal. Verses 18 to 21. During the meal, Jesus spoke, verse 18. He says, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. One of you eating with me. He says, one of you is going to hand me over to my enemies. Now the festive mood we can imagine was broken by Jesus' pronouncement. The disciples are distressed by Jesus' words and they begin to ask, verse 19, is it I? They ask, is it I, Lord? What about me, Jesus? They wanted to know who the betrayer was. And can you imagine all of a sudden in our midst there's a betrayer? The fellowship that they had was, was broken by that knowledge. And so they naturally want to know who this is. But you know what? Jesus does not answer with a name. In Mark's gospel, we, wouldn't, we don't know at all. We wouldn't know if we didn't know that Judas has already gone out looking for a time to betray Jesus. And later we will see that it is him who betrays Jesus into the hands of his enemies. But here we don't know. We're left like the disciples. What is going to happen? Who is it? Jesus answers verse 20. He says only this. He says it is one of the twelve. One who is dipping bread into the dish with me. In other words, this is the betrayal of one of the people closest to Jesus. This was someone he lived with and discipled for three years. This is somebody that he ate with on a regular basis. What can we learn from these things? Now, for one thing, we learn that Jesus knows the pain of rejection and betrayal. He understands what it is to have the closest of friends stab you in the back. But Jesus also knew that this was part of the plan. He tells the disciples in verse 21, For the Son of Man goes as is written of Him. The Son of Man goes as is written of Him. Jesus understood that his betrayal was not outside of God's plan. This too was foretold in his word. Jesus lived what David wrote in Psalm 41 verse 9. David had written at that time 
We don't know exactly when, but there was an experience of betrayal that he had. He said, Psalm 41.9, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, lifted his heel against me. He opposed God's anointed, David the king. Jesus echoes these words to describe what is happening to him. He understands that this is a part of God's plan, yet though this was the plan of God, still the betrayer would be responsible for his actions. For Jesus continues in verse 21, and he says, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. Our Lord reveals by his words here that the fierceness of God's wrath is no trifling matter. The judgment of those who would betray Christ is a terrible thing. So terrible that one might say to cease to exist would be better than to suffer under the holy anger of God. Now it could be easy for us to say, yes, but that's Judas. We know the story. We know what happened and move on with our lives. But Mark doesn't tell us the name He leaves, Jesus leaves the disciples pondering, wondering. The reality of God's anger is a matter of great relevance to us all when we consider that we all might be as Judas If it were not for the mercy of God, I wonder if some of the disciples thought that very thing. They knew I'm not the betrayer, but I'm sure they felt keenly a sense of their unworthiness to follow their master. And that it was indeed his kindness that any one of them had fellowship with him that day. How easy it is to compromise, to try to cling to the comforts of this world and to Christ, but you cannot long serve two masters. The scriptures warn, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Do you hear that word? Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You know, it is the arrogant who trip and fall to destruction. Who think that they can tackle this. And they fall short. So let us not be like those who think themselves above denying our Lord. We will see next week that Jesus predicts Not betrayal, but denial by all of his disciples. So let us not be like those who think ourselves above denying our Lord. 
And let us not think ourselves so holy that we would not betray our master for temporary gain, as Judas did. Our only hope lies in what follows. It lies in what Jesus declares for his disciples on that last supper. That Christ would give himself for us. So let's remember and rejoice in that. After arranging the Passover preparations and after announcing his betrayer in a very cryptic way, Jesus then goes on to declare Passover's fulfillment and he is, speaks very plainly here. He speaks of Passover's fulfillment in himself. This is verses 22 and 20 to 26, and we'll read it all and then work our way through. Verse 22, and as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So ends our text. Verse 22 begins, while they were eating. And Jesus took bread and he said a blessing. He might have said something like this. Praise be thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. After the blessing, he broke that bread and he gave it to each of the disciples and he bids them to take it, saying, this is my body. That is to say, "This this is my person. This is me. Our Lord is saying, I am giving myself for you. The giving of the bread is a picture of Christ giving himself. His own body, his own life. Christ's abiding presence is given to his people and it is given through the violent sacrificial shedding of his blood. After Jesus took a cup, verse 23, and he gave thanks and they all drank of that cup. And Jesus explained the significance of the cup that they drank. He said to them in verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. How much of the meaning the disciples took in in that moment is hard to say. Talking about eating and drinking Christ was a controversial issue earlier on in Jesus' ministry when he said some things in John chapter 6. The disciples stood by him then. I don't know what they thought 
in that moment, but they certainly remembered Jesus' words. By the time Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, roughly a little over 20 years later, really not that long, but Paul could reference Christ our Passover, sacrificed for us, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And he does it in a, with little explanation. And this largely Gentile church understood its significance. They had heard how the blood of the Lamb was Israel's only protection from God's wrath on that first Passover night. And they had believed that Christ was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist declared in John chapter 1, verse 29. They had come to see Christ as our Passover lamb, the substitute, the sacrifice through which we could have fellowship with God. Jesus does not directly mention the Passover, however, in Mark's gospel. He explains the significance of the cup by referring to the establishment of a covenant through his blood. The establishment of a covenant through his blood. His words deliberately echo a passage in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 24 verses 1 through 12 where God establishes his covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. God has freed them from Egypt in order to worship him. And so God made a covenant. He made a binding agreement with his people, he to be with them and they to obey him. On that day, Moses sprinkled blood over the people and said, behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. We saw earlier in the service that the author of Hebrews quotes this in Hebrews chapter 9. The blood sealed that covenant, symbolically cleansing the people of their sins so that God could dwell among His people. So that a holy God could live among and bless and protect and keep His people. The passage in Exodus concludes when the leaders of Israel beheld God and ate and drank. They beheld God. They ate and they drank in his presence. Exodus 24:11. The story isn't over for Israel. Israel could not keep their agreement to obey God more than a couple of days. Nor could the blood of bulls and goats atone for their sins. A new covenant was needed. With this in mind, think back to the Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Jesus' disciples ate and drank with him their God. And they shared a cup 
that signified a new covenant in Christ's blood. That He would be the sacrifice needed to cleanse His people's sins. And establish a covenant between God and His people that cannot be broken. Of Him, of Christ, God declared in Isaiah 53 verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In that verse is echoed what Jesus says when he said that his own blood was poured out for the many. He poured out his soul to death. He shed his blood, his his life. He was counted with the sinners, though he was sinless. And he bore sin's punishment. So that he could mediate between God and his people. Between a holy God and an unholy people. He could be the one who cleanses, the one who then makes intercession, who speaks on behalf of his people before their God. Oh, this is good news. This is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. That it is through him alone that we and be forgiven of our sins. That we might know God. That we might have peace with Him. The Apostle Paul said that works of the law could not justify a person. Nobody could stand before God and, and be declared righteous. But those who have been justified by faith in Christ, those who trust in His work alone, they have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Do you believe this message? Do you believe that it is through Christ alone that you could have fellowship with God? Christ gave Himself, pouring out His own blood to establish a new relationship between God and His people. And He looked forward to a day when the fullness of that covenant would be realized. I want to read our last two verses, verses 25 and 26. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day. When I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Our text ends on a note of hope and praise. How fitting to end their time in the upper room with a song. On the road to the cross where our Lord would suffer and die. Jesus went to the cross knowing the joy to come in His eternal kingdom. 
an eternal joy to be shared with his people. And he looked forward to that day. Knowing what was ahead, he gave himself so that no more sacrifices need to be made. Only this, bread and wine shared in remembrance of his sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, this is a glorious reality. You know, I've only sketched out a small portion of all that could be said about the Lord's table and its many blessings. The many scriptures that find their fulfillment in the Lamb of God being slain for the sins of the world. The fellowship there. Fellowship with God is a fellowship received through faith alone. Faith in Christ alone. And I invite you, if you have not yet placed your faith in Christ, do not rely on yourself any longer. Trust in Him. He is able to cleanse you completely. To make you able to stand before God at peace with Him. He is the one that we need. The one who saves. The one who sanctifies. And the one who satisfies His people. And you say that of Christ today. That He is the one who saved you. He's the one and only one who can make you holy. And He's the one who satisfies your soul. You know, when believers gather and partake of the bread and the cup, it's no afterthought. It's not merely a duty. It's something to be done, a ritual to fulfill. This is a great privilege and joy. The Lord's table is a tangible picture of the believer's present fellowship with God and with one another through the blood of Christ alone. It's a reminder also that the people of God will one day eat and drink with him in unbroken fellowship for all eternity in his kingdom. So we partake in some small measure we can hardly imagine to think or to see what that will be like. But as we partake, as we see the bread and the cup and partake together, we can remember He gave Himself to establish peace between God and His people now and forevermore. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news for us to remember and celebrate. Rejoice in these things as we partake of the table today.